Welcome to Northridge Church. I know some of you at Webster have already taken a seat. No judgment here. No judgment here. I can see you, though, just so you know. And Webster, I got my eyes on you. Well, good morning and welcome home. Welcome to Northridge Church. It is great to be with you. I want to give a shout out to all of you on our online campus, whether it's your computer, your laptop, or your television. Welcome. Those of you in person at Webster or Rochester, good morning. Welcome home. And for a second, I want to just give a shout out to all the, the, the people at our online studio. You, you probably heard this. Um, we mentioned it last week, but uh, our online team, Mark Nelson, our online campus pastor, his leadership and a lot of volunteers put a lot of work in so we can actually speak directly to our online audience to shepherd them, love them intentionally. And so for all of you in that studio right now, mix in and transition in, thank you for all your hard work. And really, thank you to all of our volunteers at Northridge Church. You have no clue how many volunteers it takes to just make one weekend happen. And I just want you to know how thankful we are for each and every one of you. Thank you very much. Well, you know, as we, we jump into it this morning, before we dive too deep, I, I kind of need to make you aware of, of something. You know, one, one of the natures of my job, it's not the most fun thing, but I have to, 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 to lead and make our church aware of some things. And, and I got to do that this morning. And, you know, last weekend we had a unique visitor to our Rochester campus. And instead of going through all the agonizing details of what took place and what happened, I just figured I would show you a picture. <laughs> Y'all didn't know what was coming, did you? <laughs> Hey, you know, I, I, Bernie and his mittens showed up at our, our Rochester campus, and I don't know why, like, hey, of all the places, right, like Rochester and Northridge Church, I mean, there's a lot of great churches in, in Rochester, there's a lot of places in our, in our nation that are beautiful, and he, he picked Northridge Church in Rochester. I, I started doing some research, I was like, you know, why, why us, why? And, and, and I realized he's been hanging out with one of our pastors, like... I don't know what's going on in Webster. I live in the Webster area, but apparently Nate's supposed to be working on, you know, being a pastor. He's been hanging out with Bernie. I don't know what is going on, but seriously, in all seriousness, I ran out of memes, okay? So I gave them all to you, so I thought I'd make you laugh. But hey, I need to issue an apology to, to all my Bills fans because... I feel like I jinxed you, right? A Cowboys fan wearing a Bills jersey, it obviously did not work. I was doing everything I could, but it did not work. But hey, the good news, there's always next year. You guys know that model pretty well. Um, <laughs> I, I love how I have the mic and you don't. Anyway, but here's, here's the good news. There is good news, right? At least somebody got the jersey right. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry, okay? I just couldn't help myself. Anyway, welcome to Northridge Church. We love to laugh because God is good, amen? Amen. Well, hey, we've been in a series called Silver Linings, and, and really what we've been doing over the last three weeks, we're bringing an end to today, and we've just been trying to find those silver linings in a very difficult and chaotic and tumultuous year, right? Where, where's the good in all of the bad that we experience? And we've talked about three so far. We've, we've talked about relationships. In a, in a year where we were, you know, alienated from them, they're key to our spiritual success. We talked about unity and how in a divided nation, the church must fight for unity. And then last week, we, we talked about God giving us a, a greater understanding of what his church is and who it's made of. 
right? The church is not a destination you go to. It's something that you are a part of. We are the church. We are the people of God. And as we step back even farther, as we bring this series to an end, I think we're going to look at the, the overarching, the largest lesson that God taught us from a big picture perspective. Because 2020 was a hard year, and I think what God was trying to remind us of, this might not be new to really anybody who's a follower of Christ, but I think a major lesson that God taught us is that he's superior to any struggle that we face. That God is superior to the struggle, right? And and we know this. Right? We should know this. If you're a follower of Christ, I'm, I'm hoping that no matter what circumstance you walk through, no matter what situation you find yourself in, you realize that God is bigger, God is stronger, God is wiser. He is exactly what he needs to be and what he's, who he is and what he's capable of. No matter what we struggle with, God is superior. But here's what's sad. We often forget that, don't we? Right in life, when, when it surprises us, when, when life throws a curveball, when you know what hits the fan, like, hey, we often live in a manner that is actually not accurate to that statement, right? We doubt, we, we, we lack trust in the very God that we believe is superior to anything that we face. And I wonder if that was us in, in 2020, if we forgot that God is superior to even a very dark and difficult year like 2020. And I think this is natural for Christ followers to kind of forget, right? Because when we study the disciples and Jesus, he had to consistently teach them and remind them of this lesson. In fact, in Mark chapter four, I'll set the scene for you. Jesus is in a small wooden boat with 12 other guys. And Jesus is staring at the beach. He's a little bit offshore in a boat, drifting in the water, and he's teaching a crowd. He's using the water to actually project his voice to a large crowd that he's going to teach all day long. And if you ever want a glimpse of what this looks like, we we did a series just, you know, a couple months back, right, where we, we looked at unfiltered Jesus and, and we, we navigated and we saw what this looks like in Israel. So if you haven't seen that, I encourage you to go check it out. But Jesus is in this boat and he's teaching this crowd and he teaches this crowd all day long until he's tired, the crowd disperses, and Jesus looks at his disciples who have been sitting in the boat listening to him and he's like, hey, I want to sail from here to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they begin sailing, and Jesus is, is tired. And so he's got this natural sound machine, like the, the ocean is kind of shh, shh. He falls asleep. I get it, right? Like after three services of, of teaching God's word, of preaching, like you ask my wife, after lunch, I am good for nothing, right? Like, hey, if you need anything, I've used all my words up for the day. Like, hey, you will find me on my couch. So Jesus is sleeping. And, and Disciples have sailed across the Sea of Galilee hundreds of times. Some of them were fishermen. And so they're, they're sailing, and then all of a sudden, life changes. Life gets turned upside down, much like it did for us in, in 2020. And look, look what happens. Mark 4, it says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And so this vicious storm hits the water and the waves begin to like break over this really small wooden canoe and the disciples are are going crazy. They're trying to get the water out of the boat and they wake Jesus up and they're like, Jesus, like, don't you care that that, that we're about to drown? Like, what's going on? And I would suggest, I would bet, probably all of us asked that question in 2020. Like, God, don't you care? 
Don't you care that our world has been like turned upside down? Don't, don't you care, God, that I lost somebody that I love? Don't, don't you care that I, I don't have a job right now, God, and I can't provide for my family? God, don't you care that our nation is so divided and there's, there's riots and people are protesting and things are going crazy? Don't you care, God? Don't you care that our economy has tanked, God? Like, see, I think we get the disciples because we throw out the same thing they throw out. When life goes crazy, when we lose control, God, what are you doing? Like, don't you care? And look what Jesus says to him. He wakes up, and with three words, he says, peace be still, and guess what happens? The storm is like silent. The water is calm. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, why are you so afraid? Let's let that sit there for a second. Why, why are you afraid? Do you still not have faith? Do you still not understand who I am? Do you still not understand that the storm answers to me? Do you still not understand what I'm capable of? It says, verse 41, it says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. And you see, what happens to the disciples is really kind of the same thing that happened to us in 2020. God reminds them, and he reminded us who he is and what he's capable of. The disciples forgot who was in the boat with them, and often in life, when it gets, the storms come, we often forget who is with us. And the result of that is, guess what? We become afraid. And so under this major lesson of God is superior to our struggle, I think he teaches us three lessons, two that pertain to who he is, and then the third one that practically plays out in our lives. I think the first lesson that God reminded us of is that he wasn't surprised, right? 2020 took all of us by surprise. No one saw the events that would take place no one saw it coming. No one predicted it. it. It shattered our worlds. But yet the crazy thing is, is it didn't take God by surprise. He saw it coming before we ever thought it was coming. Right? God, it's so hard for us to, to get there, to live in that perspective, because we are so different than God. But God knows the end from the beginning. And so it's hard for us to get that because we're finite. We're humans. Right, but, but God was not surprised by 2020. In fact, one of the, 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 the running jokes around in, in the church is, you know, it was the year 2020, right? And so if you, you go to the doctor, the eye doctor, and you, you, you read that chart, and he's like, yeah, you have 2020 vision. Guess what that means? You see really good. And so every like pastor and communicator in the church, if you, you ever want to go on like church websites, go on their like sermon page and go back to January of 2020, there was a lot of pastors uh, who, who did a series or even a message that was 2020 vision because we all saw clearly what was going to come in 2020. We're going to lay out this clear, compelling vision. Just so you know, I did that. <laughs> and guess what happened to our 2020 vision? It, it ended in shambles because <laughs> no one knew what we were about to face, except God. He wasn't surprised. 
He saw it coming the whole time. In fact, let me, let me prove it to you because when you study God and Jesus, right, you see him predicting the future before the future actually takes place. And in John chapter 13, we see this happening twice with his disciples. John chapter 13 is probably one of the most famous passages in Jesus's life other than his death and his resurrection. It's the, the chapter where Jesus is sitting around uh, an evening meal with his disciples and he surprisingly and awkwardly gets out from the table, up from the table, and he grabs a towel and he begins to to wash his disciples' feet. That's John chapter 13. And in John chapter 13, Jesus makes two predictions about the future that would come true. One was with, they were both with his disciples. The first one was with Judas. Verse 21, it says this, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. He said, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. So his disciples are sitting there at the evening meal. He's washing their feet. And then he says to them all, hey, one of you, it's going to betray me. They were like, well, who? Not me. Oh, who is it going to be? Because Jesus saw the future before the future actually happened. One of his best friends would stab him in the back for a couple coins so he would be arrested and go to the cross. And God was not surprised by this. In fact, it was planned from long ago. Another example of that, right in the same chapter, a, very, a, few, a few verses later, is with one of Jesus' closest disciples, who's Peter. He was in the inner circle of the 12. John 13, Peter asked, he says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So yet again, Jesus predicting the very near future where he, Peter is like confessing his love to Jesus. He's saying, man, I'll do anything, God. I love you. I'll lay my life down. And Jesus is like, really, Peter? Because like right after this, you're going to tell people you don't even know who I am. You're going to deny me three times. And here we see Jesus being fully God, predicting what is going to come before it actually takes place. And, and, and knowing God wasn't surprised by 2020 at some level should give us all peace. Knowing that somebody knew what was coming before it actually took place should give us some level of peace, right? It, it, it should let us know. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, God knows the future because he planned the future. Knowing the future, even the future of human decisions is a part of what it means to be God. And that's why it's so hard for us to wrestle through this and live in that perspective because we are not God. And God is so different than us. And the first lesson we have to understand is God wasn't surprised by 2020, but the second ties right to it that God was still in control of 2020. God was still overseeing everything that takes place in our world and he would use it. He's painting a big picture of, for his glory and his honor. Right, what we call this in the church world is, you may, maybe have heard God described this way, that God is sovereign, or we've talked about God and his sovereignty, and sovereignty is, is actually pretty simple. It's a big word that just means God knows everything and is in control of everything. So he sees the end from the beginning, and he is in control of it. This is why when we describe God, we often sing or say God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega is just the first letter in the Greek alphabet and the last one. And it's like us saying in our language, hey, God is like A to Z because everything in the alphabet starts with A and ends with Z. And what the scriptures teach us about God being the alpha and the omega is like, hey, he's the beginning and he's the end. And when you realize this about God, you recognize that if he's beginning and end, everything falls 
in here because he is God. And the scriptures paint a beautiful picture about this. Look at Colossians chapter one. It says this, for by him, that's God, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, Scripture is painting our theology of who God is, and it's saying, hey, he's the beginning, because all things were created through him, because he's the start, and everything, because he's in control, is held together by him. Now, this is the New Testament. The Old Testament actually speaks of this as well. Isaiah 46, it says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So yet Isaiah is painting this picture that there is no one like God. He's superior, remember? He's, he's above everything. You see, there are a lot, of, a lot of false gods out there, people who claim to be God, but they often, always, they don't often, they always fall short of who God is because he, there is no one like him. And he says, verse 10, he says, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times to what is still to come, I say my purposes will stand and I will do all that I please. Again, from ancient times, from things that we never even experienced to things that are still to come in the future, 2021, 2022, and beyond. God knows he's in control. He's sovereign. But here's a trap that we often fall into. As humans, we like to put our eggs in the basket of who's in control. Right? And guess what happened in, in 2020? I don't want to take you back there because it was chaotic and crazy, but there was a really divisive election. And many Christians bought the lie that if we banked on a, a, a policy or a, a politician or a president, because they're obviously in control, right? And so we believed that this president would stay or this president would go. Like We, not, we need to give control into the right person's hands. And, and the truth is, it's never in their hands. It's always been in God's hands. Let me prove it to you, Daniel, a book of prophecy, Daniel chapter two, it talks about God, it explains God, it says, he, God, changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. So again, God is sovereign, he's in control, and you can't take the control out of God's hand, and he's never surprised by anything. And out of those two truths, God is superior, he's not surprised, and he is in control. The third lesson is really practical in a hard year. Because what we have to, 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 to recognize throughout 2020 is that our fear has been and is lying to us. Maybe, maybe the most ground our enemy took in 2020 has to do with just that one word fear, right? Because all of us, I don't care who you are, what your circumstances were in 2020, I would bet every single one of us felt a, a little dose of fear. We were afraid because we didn't know the future. We weren't in control of it. We couldn't change it. And so what often happens when we feel that way is we feel fear. All right, let's go back to Mark chapter four. What does Jesus say to his disciples who are trying to, 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 to calm the storm, who are trying to get the water out of the boat? They're freaking out and, and he, they wake Jesus up. And what is the first thing he says to him? He says, why are you so afraid? I wonder, is God asking you that right now? 
at the beginning of 2021, through a hard year, why have you been so afraid? Why are you acting and living in fear? Do you still not have faith? Do you still not realize who I am and what I'm capable of? You see, that was the trap the disciples fell into. The living God was in their boat. He was sleeping right there. The God who calmed the sea, the God who was in control of everything, the God who painted the sky, and yet they're still afraid. Right? And so let's, let's talk about fear for a second. And I want to define it because what's hard about fear is we use one word often to describe a lot of things. And so I want to bring clarity to what I mean when I say fear. You see, fear is just a lack of trust in God. When we feel fear, what often happens is we take our trust from God's hands like the disciples did and we put it in something or somebody else. It's usually ourselves. Right? That's what, that's what fear is, is when we don't fully trust God with the circumstance or the situation that we're facing. And I, I, I wonder, like, where does fear come from? Why do we battle with fear so much? And I actually believe, this might surprise you, but the root of fear is bad theology. The root of fear, the reason why we struggle with fear so much is because I believe we don't actually have a full picture, a full comprehension, a full understanding of who God is. Because if we truly understood who God is and it registered in our head how powerful, how mighty, how superior he is to anything in our world, we wouldn't fear anything other than God. But I think we have bad theology. And that's why we often struggle with fear, right? The disciples did. They thought they were going to drown. And, and let's be honest, no one blames them for being afraid, right? If we were in their shoes, we would have all been afraid. And I want to make a, a clear distinction. When I talk about fear, I'm not talking about the biological response that God put in your body. Right, God made us that when we're in danger, when, when we, we see something happening that would put somebody else in danger, that, that natural God-given uh, feeling, emotion that will protect us. I'm not talking about that. So if I saw my kids doing something that would put them in danger, it would cause me to feel the emotion of fear to protect my children. That's okay. But it's when we live in a manner where we don't trust God with our circumstances. And as Christ followers, we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful. We don't justify our fear because we're truly not trusting fully in God. Because when we don't trust God, fear like that, living in fear is never a biblical response to any circumstances, right? Look what Timothy says. He says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And so if God has, has not given us a, 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 a spirit of fear, then why have so many Christians all of 2020 ran around in fear? Why does Jesus have to continuously ask us, why, why, why are you afraid? And so I did some research on fear. Do, do you know the most common command in your entire Bible? Do not be afraid. Fear not. 
The most common command in the big book of the Bible is telling us not to be afraid. Coincidence, right? It's got to be. No, I think God knew. His word is perfect. It's flawless. And he knew how much we would wrestle with fear. He knew that our anxiety would rage, our worry would be overwhelming, and it would cause us to ultimately fear so much that we no longer trust God, but we trust in a circumstance or a situation or a person. It's used 365 times in the Bible. Some scholars would say 366 to cover leap year, right? Because we have 365 days in a year. God knew we would probably need a fear not for every single day. That's how much we wrestle with fear. And so I, I, I did some research on, on the YouVersion Bible app, right? If you don't have that, I'd encourage you to download it. It literally gives you the Bible at your disposal in any version. It's done by Life Church. It's a gift to the church and to the world where you can have access to God's word in, in, in the push of a, a button or an app, right? And, and so every year they release a, a verse of the year. And, and it's basically a verse that has been read the most and based off of searches that, that the people have searched the most. And one of the things that people searched all throughout 2020 was, how do I overcome my fear? And the verse of the, the year for the Bible app is Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And I want to walk you through it because I think it's so powerful for, for what we all wrestled with in 2020. Look what it says in Isaiah. It says, don't be afraid. And for a second, can you just let God's holy word just like pour over your soul? That, that, that you don't have to be afraid. And even in circumstances like 2020, when life throws a curveball, when, when your world is turned upside down, God says you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in fear. In fact, God doesn't want you to live in fear. But you ask the question, like, how? How in the world are we supposed to navigate a chaotic and turbulent year like 2020 and not feel afraid, not have our worry rage and our anxiety just go crazy? How? Well, God answers that. He says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. And what he's talking about is his presence, right? If you know Christ as your personal savior, do you realize that you have access to God everywhere you go? He lives inside of you. The, 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 the Holy Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. His presence is with you. Come on, that's good news today. Let me put it to you like this. I think this is more relatable. I grew up in a house where we had four kids and I was the third, but I was the youngest boy. And so I had two older brothers and a younger sister. And so growing up, we grew up in this old farmhouse and I shared a room with my two brothers my whole life. It was awesome. It was crazy. Sometimes I loved it. Sometimes I hated it. But I was the youngest boy. And, and what that often meant is I had to go to bed before my, my brothers, right? Mom, dad would be like, hey, Drew, it's time to go to bed. Like they're still up. They're older than you, Drew. And it, 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 let me just take you to our farmhouse. Like if you walk into my bedroom that I grew up in, there's this little hallway that you would walk down and, and it would do a right angle and it would open up to our room. 
And what was kind of frustrating about our room was there was only one window and it was up in the top corner and it was just this thin, tiny window. And so we didn't get a lot of natural light. And so when I would go to bed as a, a little boy, all by myself, when you turn the lights off, you could barely see your hand in front of your face. It was dark. It was scary. And as a young boy, I was terrified to be alone. I would lay in my bed and I would sweat. I would pray. I would rich around. I would just try to do anything to keep my mind off of how consuming my fear was. And so I got a little bit smarter. I, I would, many nights, I would get out of my bed and I would walk down that little hallway of our bedroom right to the door frame because I could see the bathroom light. And I would sit there and I would wait and I would wait and I would wait until I heard the rumblings of my brothers coming upstairs to go to bed. And when I knew they were coming, I would quickly run and jump in my bed and act like I've been sleeping the whole time. But here's the truth. The moment they got into my room, my fear was gone. All I needed was their presence. And can I tell you today, church, when you feel fear, remind yourself of who your God is and remind you that he is right there in the midst of your fear and he is capable of anything. His presence should be enough to conquer any fear that we have. But God maybe knew that we're humans and we struggle with fear, so he continues. He says, don't be afraid for I'm with you. He says, don't be discouraged because I'm your God. Right again, I told you the root of fear is not understanding who your God is. And I could easily give you some books to read to overcome your fear. I could easily say, hey, here's some steps that you could take to overcome your fear. But I honestly think the best thing that we could do, if you're, if you're living in fear today, if you're struggling with fear, anxiety, or worry, here's what I would challenge you to do, to open God's word and read passages that describe who God is that you would get a greater glimpse of how marvelous, how amazing, how powerful, how good, how faithful, how strong. I don't need to continue, but it does continue of how big God is. Because when you register who your God is and what he is capable of, fear begins to dissipate. We need a better understanding of who God is. And he continues, he's like, I, I realize you're not gonna win this battle on your own. And so he says, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be discouraged for I'm your God. And I, I will strengthen you, I will help you. And I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You see, God's gonna do the work of overcoming your fear. You can battle your fear. Some of you have been battling your fear all 2020 and you're still afraid. Why don't you let God conquer it? Understand who he is. Get to know him better and watch your fear go away. See, what I'm afraid many of us have done is we've banked on something natural versus something that is supernatural, right? In 2020, we banked on things to protect us more than we prayed to God for his supernatural protection. And I get it, right? Like, I, I know when you talk about fear in, in, in a year that we face, I, I just want to be very clear. I, I'm not giving you permission to go around, not wear your mask, and just be a jerk. Okay? Right? We're all wearing masks at our in-person services because we care for our community. We love our community, and we want to be safe. But let me be clear. We don't put our masks on because we're afraid. 
We, we, we don't do things. We're not banking on a vaccine to save us. We've always, and we should always, bank on the supernatural power of God to protect us. But that doesn't give us permission to just do stupid things. And so as we wind down this series and as we look forward to 2021, whatever it may bring, God knows we don't. I said this last week, and I think this is so true, that 2020 has been very revealing, right? We've been pressed in the fire. We've been through the storm. And when God sees us in the storm, it often reveals to him how strong our faith really is. It often reveals to him things in us. It shows him our our true colors. And and I, I think God used 2020 to really show us the areas of our lives when it comes to walking with Jesus that maybe need changed, that things that need removed, areas where we need to grow in, areas where we need to be stretched in. And we've talked about that as a church, corporately, as a body. But let's zoom into my life and your life. What has 2020 revealed in you? Right? Let's get personal for a second. For you as a single person. For you as a mom or a dad, a a, a parent, a grandparent, part of the deaf community, someone who, who, who is a leader, a business owner, what has God used 2020, as hard as it was, not wanting to go back into it, what has God shown you about yourself that he needs to change, he needs to remove, things that will stretch you and grow you? What is that? Have you asked that question? And if you haven't or if you have, I would encourage you to do it this week. In your quiet time with God when you're reading his word, when you're praying, I hope you guys do those things. They're important. Get in that habit. But when you do it this week, ask God, hey, what were you trying to show me, God, through a turbulent year? What needs stretched or what needs, what area do I need to grow? And as you find that, as you and God kind of wrestle through that, would you be bold enough and transparent enough to go to your community group and tell them? Would you say, hey, this is what God showed me. And, and I told you in week one with relationships, don't expect, uh, don't expect accountability, demand it. And so say to them, hey, I want to be a better dad or I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better leader. I, I, I need to get rid of this in my life. Will you hold me accountable? Will you push me towards this goal? And maybe God's just revealing you need biblical community in your life for some of you. But at the end of the day, 2020 was a hard year. But aren't you glad that we have a God who is for us and with us no matter what we face. And Psalms 124, I'll end with this. It gives us a a glimpse into what would have happened if God wasn't on our side. It says this, if the Lord had not been on our side, when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. But praise be to God. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. Today, as you battle your fear, it's good to know we have a God who is with us and for us. Let's pray together. God, I I know that there are probably a lot of us who are battling our fear, our worry, our anxiety. And maybe 2020 has just revealed how big of a stronghold that is. And God, I pray that we would get a glimpse of who you are. That we would see how big and mighty and superior you are to anything that we face. And that our trust because of that would shift to you, not anything else. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.